Welcome to the At A Total Loss podcast, where lost moms candidly talk about their experiences with stillbirth that have left them at a total loss for words. It is through our stories that we hope to give you support, motivation, friendship, and maybe a laugh or two. But most importantly, we hope to give you light in the darkest moments of your life. I'm Catherine, a lost mom to my beautiful son Brody, who was born still at 36 weeks on January 18, 2022. While trying to survive the sadness and find answers as to why he died, I found this community of incredible women willing to share their journey, experiences, and sometimes margaritas so that I didn't feel alone. They helped me survive, and I hope we can do the same for you. So grab some wine and some tissues as we navigate this awful world of stillbirths that has left us all at a total loss. Win. Yeah. <laughs> so where in the world are you right now? I'm currently in England. I live here. I've lived here for about 11 months and may be here another four years. Okay. And um, have you recovered from your travels? You had some wonderful travels that I'm super (laughs) jealous about. (laughs) (laughs) I'm recovered. Yes. I didn't, I don't think I needed to recover. I was like immediately wanting to go back on vacation because like that state of mind is so much more relaxed. It really is. I, I, Right after Brody was born, I think it was about, let's see, four months later, we went to like Egypt because I was like, I want to go somewhere where I don't know what's happening. Like, I just want to look at other things that make me feel small and I want to be completely distracted for the entire time. So it did the trick. And I remember thinking like, I didn't cry as much on the trip. Like I didn't really feel depressed that much on the trip. I think it was just taking myself out of the surroundings and and not the consistent reminders and the talking and all that. So it definitely helped. And I think that was one of the first things someone said to me was like, go travel. And I, I, I took their advice, but I like six weeks later, I went home to my hometown and that was not a great idea. I was like, (laughs) I hated it. Get me out of here. I don't even like coming here without having grief, you know? But, um, I was super jealous of your travels. You did, uh, Italy and Greece, right? Yes. Yeah. Kind of on our bucket list. And since we moved here, like a lot of people try to get away on four day weekends, like do another country super fast over a long weekend. And we were like, no, let's use those four day weekends to stay home primarily, regenerate and just relax and then commit to quarterly taking, you know, a 10 day trip. So we did Iceland back in May. Greece and Italy and now at the end of September I think we're going to Morocco next and then I think Portugal after that so that's kind of our goal is um because a lot of people move over here and try to see it all and I've seen a lot of Europe myself my husband hasn't but it's like let's just pick the best and what we really want to be intentional about that's awesome do you you said you in four years you might move to the states do you miss it over here at all I miss some things. I miss access to resources, access to like the driving over here is really uncomfortable. The roads are super narrow. So I'm constantly <laughs> like, and I'm like, this is not good for my nervous system no. and my trauma. And I'm already like, I try so hard not to be an anxious person. I feel like I didn't have anxiety before birth trauma, but now it's just like, yeah. ah. <laughs> um, so do I, yeah, I miss like everything being bigger. There's parking lots that aren't like a postage stamp because the roads are small and the parking lots are small. Like it's so scary to park. 
that is so funny you, a tiny car. you tiny little car yeah I remember my husband was driving and like you know in Greece we were in I think we were in Milos and we were in the you know the tiny streets and the next thing you know you're like in between houses and we got in between them where to the point like we couldn't open our doors I was gonna have to go out the sunroof and I was like I'm in a glass case of emotions I can't be in this car get me out of here and so that was like one of the one times that I was like this is not good for me but um so Miles was born in the States though, right? Were yes, both your children were in Florida? Okay. And yep. um, so you went over to England. How long have you been there now? 11 months. Oh, okay. So not even a year yet. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm happy. Well, as awful as these conversations you and I have are, because we chat a lot, but um, we have some fun conversations too, but we do, ch- we do talk a lot about birth trauma and what we've both gone through with stillbirth and all of the horribleness that sometimes, even though we both talk about stillbirth so much, and we talk about baby death and baby loss and grief, um, there's still parts we don't talk about, which is crazy that it gets even worse than that. So I I want, um, do you want to start with Miles' story? Yeah. Give us a little background. Um, Yeah. For sure. So um, we were living in Florida at the time. So we're military. So we move every however five to about five years. Um, and there I wanted a home birth. I thought I want. So we were licensed foster parents because we were having trouble conceiving miles. And I always kind of had this vision like I only want and need one biological child and I'd be happy to adopt or foster um, other children, whether or not they get to be, you know, forever with us or not. So through the journey of infertility, initially, we became licensed foster parents. And when we became licensed, I was 14 weeks pregnant with Miles. So I was like, okay, I guess everything's happening all at once. Wow. Um, and then we got a lot of calls and lo and behold, we got in a teenager because I just knew I'm going to have this baby. Things are going to be wild. So I want to get, um, I want to foster a child that's independent in in school anyway. So that (laughs) was the beginning of our journey. And I wanted a home birth. Like I said, I think that, cause I was like, I really want the birth I want. And anything I say about my intentions back then, I've learned a lot about since. So Ain't that the truth. Um, it's a lot of cliche, um, natural mm. birthing community speak. So as I say it, just keep in mind, my perspective has changed uh, greatly. Um, so there was actually only one company that did home births in my area. They were like an hour, hour and 10 minutes away. And there was nobody else at the time. So I was like, okay, this is really my only option. I had heard more or less good things. There was a death at a home birth, but that um, company had closed down a couple years prior. And then, so I started with my midwives um, shortly after having just one or two appointments at the military hospital. And then I kind of asked them, can I stay at the military hospital because everything's included and I know it's decent care. Can I just kind of wanted to go with them kind of right before the birth. And they're like, no, no, no. We want to establish care with you so that we feel like we're friends. And I was like, okay, that sounds great. Um, Fast forward, I'm in my third trimester and it's Easter time. And uh, Miles was due April 7th. 
Easter was like around the 15th or something. So I was already around 41 weeks. Mm. And my midwives were like, oh, we're closing our office for Easter so we can go to church. And I was like, okay, I'm 41 weeks pregnant. Um, uh, I won't go into all of the laws they broke in that. But um, so I knew that I could go to 42 weeks and I felt safe. Um, uh, if anyone knows, like home birth care is very minimal, very hands-off, no scans. I mean, you're having the Doppler and they're measuring your belly and you're getting weighed and having your blood pressure and that's about it. Anyway, um, so they also changed my due date. So my expected due date per my like menstrual cycle was that I was going to hit 42 weeks, like three days prior, but they were going off of what I thought my conception date was. So that gave us like three days Mm. um, of leniency to work with, pushed it out. And so I lost my mucus plug. So everything happened, you know, quote unquote, naturally. And the next day was like, uh, the day before Easter. No, it was like after Easter at this point. Anyway, my midwives were still not like seeing patients. And I was like, okay. But one of them happened to be in Destin near me and um, was driving through. So she's like, I can come check you. And I was like, yeah, I would like to know if I'm dilated at all. I lost my mucus plug. Like, am I going to go into labor? So she stops by, does a check. She says, you know, you're one centimeter dilated and, you know, you haven't lost or you haven't, your um, water hasn't broken or anything like that. So just go to sleep, relax, whatever. So I did that. Um, and then it wasn't until the next night, about like 22 hours later, I had started having contractions and it was weird. Like they were like clockwork every 10 mm. minutes. And mm. I was like, oh, I guess this is how the body's rhythms just go. I was able to like have a contraction and fall asleep for like eight to nine minutes. And then all night for eight hours straight, I did that. <laughs> oh my like, God, how? girl. I don't know. Cause I'm not like the best sleeper. I'm a pretty good sleeper. Um, but my mind just must've known like, okay, I'm prepping. So get as much rest as mm-hmm. possible. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then it's the next morning and message my doula message, my midwives. And it's like, okay. Um, so I don't want to like make this story super long. I'm laboring then forever. Um, by the time Miles died, I was laboring for 37 hours at home from like the beginning of those contractions through the whole next day and into the following morning. Um, the night before I got super painful, um, like pain in my side, And I was like, what is it? What is it? And they just didn't seem concerned. They were just like, it might be his position. I don't know. Try to lay on this peanut ball. If you know, they're like Mm. round, like blown up ball. And my doula was mostly doing all of the work, like lay on it on the couch, try it in the bed. And I was like, this is so painful. It's excruciating. And Mm. at that point I wasn't like, I want to go to the hospital. Um, but I was definitely alarmed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, later I learned that's a risk or um, like a side effect of placental abruption, which I didn't, I don't think I actually had. But the fact that no one was more concerned is just like, that blows uh, my maddening. mind. Every time I, I hear these stories, I'm like, at what point? So when do they ever get concerned? I mean, do people just have these pains all the time and these things happen and it all ends up fine? I've, I just don't get it. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's fine. And then they were like, get in the birthing pool because I was having a water birth at home. And I was like, I'm not in like active labor. 
And I don't know the reasoning for that. I don't know if it was like relax me or hoping that getting relaxed would like make my body open. So my cervix was opening super slowly. I was only at like six centimeters at this point. And this is like maybe, I don't know, a few hours before everything happened. Um, and I would, at that point, I like had my head on the side of the birthing pool and I was like falling asleep between contractions because they started to space out. There are now used to be two minutes apart. Everything was ramped up and like going like I was mm. supposed to, but my cervix was just not opening. So I'm putting my head down, falling asleep for like a minute of the two to four minutes. And I look at one of my midwives like, what should I do? And she's like, well, if you want to rest, you should rest. And I was like, okay, I'm looking to you for guidance. So like my labor is stalling at this point and I was so exhausted. So I was like, okay, I'll go lay down. I don't know if I slept. I don't think, I mean, barely, I was still contracted and everything. And then I hear my midwives like bickering about something like she should have done that a long time ago. And I don't know what that was about. I still don't have an answer to that, but a couple hours passed and then I got up and then they're like, okay, if you want to have this baby without fully saying like you are at 42 weeks, um, and like they technically should have never had me home at this point because I was way overdue. You need to ramp up these contractions. But never was there a conversation that was like, do you want to talk about hospital transfer? Like, how long do you want to go into this labor? I mean, this is like hour 34, 35 at this point. And I'm just like, so they were talking to my doula a little bit, talking to my husband a little bit, never talking to me directly. And I know it's like, keep mom calm. But it's like, I'm still like a coherent human. Anyway, so my doula had me having me do these exercises where you kind of squat to the left, take a um, and walk until you have a contraction and then squat down to the right, walk until you have a contraction and then squat down. And I was just having, she was like, how are you doing? And, and I put it in my mind that like going to the hospital was bad. I was like, my mind is in a bad place. I'm in like a dark place. And she's like, what do you mean? I was like, I'm starting to like really feel like I want to go to the hospital. And she's like, okay, it's okay. She knew that wasn't what I wanted for my birth plan. But I was like, I'm not getting help from my midwives. Like, I'm not getting any like leadership here. Mm -hmm. Aren't they my care providers? Like, they should be carrying the shit. Mm -hmm. Like, it shouldn't just be me feeling like I'm laboring on my own. Of course, with the support of my husband and my doula, like, they are very supportive. Anyway, so I didn't exactly tell my doula in the moment, but I was like, I'm going to get through a cycle of 10 contractions of these like squat walking things. And I'm going to go in there and just face my midwife and be like, I need to have a freaking conversation. So I'm on like number, I don't know, five, six or seven. And my midwife comes out with this kind of like panic look in her face. And she's like, time to check the baby. And she has the doppel in her hand because it's like late April in Florida. So it's really warm and beautiful. And so she's standing there like squatting down in front of my belly. And she's just like, um, let's go inside. Why don't you sit down on the couch? And I was like, okay. I sits down. She's checking, checking. And I feel like, something's wrong. And then she's like, why don't you lay down on the couch? And then lay on this side, lay on that side. Why don't you stand up? And then she's like, I'm going to put you on oxygen and call 911 because uh, Miles' heart tones are low. She was picking up tones in the 80s, which I think is my heartbeat. I think he yeah. was already dead. Um, and to this day, they blame everything on the hospital or the emergency transport ambulance ride. So the EMS comes, I believed her that it was Miles's tones and maybe there's no way to tell the difference, but that's hard for me to believe if you're a seasoned midwife. 
Um, and I was super calm. So I didn't think anything was wrong. So I go in the ambulance and they wouldn't let her ride with, I don't know why, what's up with these like local Florida <laughs> rules or EMS get to just make their own rules. And then they wouldn't let my husband ride with either. So I was in what? the ambulance by myself. Wait, kind remind like me which a, year this was? 2019. 2019. Was, okay. So this wasn't even COVID. Like this wasn't even no, the COVID no, crap. No. Okay. Oh my gosh. No, no, no. This is April 23rd, 2019. Um, so I'm riding kind of like at a 45 degree angle because I'm like, I know I should be on my side. The EMS isn't telling me don't be on your back. So I was in this kind of like weird position, still having contractions every like four and a half minutes. They didn't put on lights and sirens. We just rode casually like 20 minutes to the hospital. And I'm like, okay, this must not be an emergency. So I'm calm. I'm super calm. I'm like, okay. I'm going to get the help that I kind of was feeling like I need. So we get to the hospital, they roll me into labor and delivery. And like the next thing I remember is like, there's like five people at the foot of my bed. And I'm like, why? But later I was thinking, well, maybe they thought if this is an emergency C-section, we got to get all hands on deck. But my room was full of people and the doctor's like, I'm sorry, there's no heartbeat. And I was just like, what? And She's like, I'm sorry. And I was just like, okay. And then I went into shock. And then another doctor, I think like her boss came in at one moment and then they're like both on either side of the bed. And then she like leans over, nobody touches me. And is just like, you're still gonna have to deliver this baby. And I was like, well, fucking obviously I've been laboring for 37 hours. That's what I've been working on. And then I was like, yeah, I understand. And then at that point, I was like in such shock. I had none of my support people there. You know, my midwives, my doula, my husband, nobody was there. I was there by myself. Oh my God, and I I'm just gonna go, throw something. I'm, I don't, I'm. <sighs> so then <sighs> at that, it was just like a moment of, I don't know how to even describe this, but I was like, can I touch you? Because I needed human connection. And she was like, yeah. And so I like reached out and touched her arm because I was like, Absolutely. I have nobody. I'm like, somebody should be holding your hand. Like these are, are these robots? Did, were these robot midwives? I just, no. and I don't understand this. Well, the midwives weren't there. This was now. Oh, this was now the hospital staff. staff. Oh, cool. This Even better. Cool. Staff. Yeah. They were nice. They were great, but the, you know, it was not human in a lot of mm. ways. And I don't know, like they were great, but in some ways I harbor so much like, shame and guilt for going to 42 weeks and like coming from a hospital or from a home birth and just feeling like, Oh, I'm that typical one that comes in, you know, that now like needs their help, but I never did. Oh my gosh. There's a lot of like, I don't really dwell on that anymore, but there was a lot of baggage in in the beginning. So that's his story. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then, you know, why we're here today. And I'll definitely let you share whatever you want to share before I keep going on is, what happened to me after and what happened to you after mm. and everything that comes with, you know, maternal health, despite your baby dying. Right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. You know, it's right before we hopped on, um, I had an alert on my phone. It was for this, um, it's a stillbirth group on Facebook. You might even be in it. Um, and there's like 40,000 moms in it, maybe yep. parents in it. And um, literally one just popped up and she was saying that she was 32 weeks and she started to hemorrhage and at her house and called the ambulance it, and, and they came and 
but it took like several calls. She called like four or five times. They got there, very chill, kind of put her in the in the ambulance, kind of drove her, didn't put the sirens on, stopped at every red light. They get there. The hospital has no sense of urgency. Long story short, she almost bleeds out, almost dies. Baby dies, you know, in the two minutes that she's begging someone to do something, the baby does that. I mean, my point is, is like, what the hell is going on? Like, I, I don't, the trauma of, so we have trauma on top of trauma, on top of trauma, on top of trauma. And what we try to do right after the death of our baby is unpack the trauma from just their absence, the grief, yep. the missing of them, the the life that we're mourning, you know, then we start to have trauma on top, on top of that, which is the, what happened? Uh, why is it my fault? Whose fault is it? All the blame was it the doctors, this and that you have tons of that. I'm sure because you had people with you that just simply weren't doing anything. There was lack of urgency or lack of information, mm-hmm. almost lack of care. It seems, it seems and I, I kind of didn't have it to that magnitude. I had it during my prenatal care. It was things that were overlooked that was treated very casually. That was some sort of trauma too, because you, you sit and you spiral into all these details. Then you have the trauma of giving birth to your dead child. And then you have the trauma of what happens after that. Some of us go into some really horrific things. Um, I'll let you continue. Cause I want to, I want to hear, and then I want to hear, you know, how you got to where you are now, because I know you coach and you try to integrate wellness on top of the grief and try to get yourself, you know, kind of dealing with these sort of things, because we're having this chat. This is a chat. We're having, it's a Monday morning. We're just chatting two lost moms, but anybody else listening to this, who's never gone through this is like, holy shit, these women, I can't believe they've been through this. So these conversations are what I think we may not be the norm, quote unquote, but we still exist. There's a lot of us that go through this Mm -hmm. stuff. And, you know, regardless of the lack of medical care. That's a whole nother conversation, but I want to hear what happened to you um, physically. Cause I know emotionally and mentally you were in another state of mind. Yep. What happened to you physically after miles was born? It kind of started at home. So I was doing a few cycles, bef- I think before I ever laid down to try to sleep and I was moving so slowly. I lived in a fairly small home and I would try to get around my dining room and living room once like per contraction. And when I couldn't even make one revolution around my super small house, I was like, this is, I knew I was moving slowly, but I was just like, whatever. And my husband was like kind of alarmed, but he didn't want to really say anything. And my midwives at that point, when I was doing my circles, I saw them on their phones on a local crunchy parenting Facebook group, looking at my post about how I was saying, I am so overdue. Give me some like natural remedies to like induce labor. And they're going, she is just so cute. Because I was out with my belly at the beach. And I was going, I am in labor. And you're scrolling. Like you're not having a conversation with me. You are looking at what I'm saying online. I was like, that is how we aren't friends. That is how we don't have a patient client relationship. Anyway, side that. Sorry. Do they still have a job? Just side note. Do they still have a job? Oh, they do. Oh my, they do. oh my God. We opened an investigation and an investigator picked it up. But while they had an open investigation, they were still allowed to open a birthing center. How? I don't know. But yes, they have a booming birthing center and they're just like pumping out babies. Luckily, they don't do home births for first time moms anymore. I think that's because of Miles. I hope that's because of Miles. But that's the only thing I've really heard that they've changed. But I don't keep up with them that much. So I was moving really slowly. And then 
low, like looking back at my medical records, my blood pressure was going up, but for like a normal person, but I have low, super low blood pressure typically. And they're like, you know, their justification after the fact was like, well, you're going to have spiked blood pressure because you're in labor. And it's like, maybe, but is that statistically true? Anyway, fast forward, I learn he died. My husband comes in, I tell him Miles died. And then a nurse or doctor comes in, the doctor comes in and is like, your blood pressure is alarmingly high. I cannot give you Pitocin. I cannot progress this labor. We need to halt your labor from anywhere from 12 to 24 hours. Oh my. Because you could have a seizure or a stroke. You need to be on a magnesium sulfate drip immediately. And so I don't know a lot about preeclampsia because mm -hmm. I never was high risk for that. I always had good blood pressure. But what I believe happened was after admittance, because I understand preeclampsia can happen anytime before, during, and after birth. So mm -hmm. I now have preeclampsia, which I hadn't fully accepted. I mean, even to this day, I don't know if I have, because it's like, I was healthy. I was a CrossFit coach. I was a, you know, health coach. I, you know, I ate perfectly. I took all the perfect supplements in my eyes. And so I was just like, this is a fluke thing. So mm -hmm. I didn't take it seriously. Well, in the moment I was just like, whatever. So put me on a magnesium sulfate drip. Didn't know how long I was going to be on it. I was like, I can't deliver my dead baby now. This is great. And then they gave me Dilantin, which is an anti-seizure medication. Mm. I don't know if it does anything to anybody, but this is now like 38, hour 38, 39 into my labor. And it made me like super sleepy and super loopy. But I'd like drift off. And then I look at my doula and I was like, how long was I asleep? And she was like, 90 seconds. And oh, I was like, geez. 90 seconds? I was like, I swear that was 30 This minutes. is a damn nightmare you're in. Oh. I, like, I wish I was asleep for three hours. I'm Seriously. Like, the world? Oh, bless. So, and then in that time, my midwives came in, dropped off some fast food to my husband and didn't come to my side, stayed across the room. was like, we're so sorry and peaced out. And I was just like, wow, they didn't even come to my side. And they were just with me for a full day trying to, you know, anyway. Hmm. So luckily though, that 10 hours actually flew by because... I think must have given me something else because I think I ended up asking for more because I was like, whatever that was, <laughs> it was nice. Can I get I it to go? Well, good. Yeah. Um, so again, the whole natural birthing, I hate calling it that now. I wanted an unmedicated delivery and they honored that. And so I didn't take a epidural or anything. Oh, damn girl. I wanted it. I really was yeah. like, you know, screw it. My baby's dead. Can I... Mm -hmm still hold on to something for myself. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my blood pressure came down. My husband, I think was terrified, but tired and keeping his cool. Cause after the fact he confided, like, I thought you were going to die too. Like I was facing that. And that's really hard for me to even like say mm -hmm. out loud. And for us to even talk about to this day, we both get really emotional, you know? Um, then after I gave, oh, okay. So during that 10 hours, I had to pee so bad and I kept trying to use the bathroom and I couldn't pee and I couldn't pee. I was like, can you get just like a little bit of urine and check if I have a UTI? Cause like, I can't pee. What if the heck is happening? This has never happened to me. And she's like, yeah, I'll check it. No, you don't have a UTI. And I was like, okay, whatever. <laughs> then I'm, so then they're like, okay, 
your blood pressure is in a good place, you can, we're going to put on the Pitocin and start and that all ramped up like manageably. And I pushed for four hours because I don't know. I mean, the the baby doesn't help as we all probably know. I don't need to go into like the reasons why some moms have trouble like delivering their stillborn children. Um, And then at the very end, they like the nurse put a mirror in front of my vagina and it's like, this usually helps. And I, I mean, it kind of did, yeah. but then I have like the doctor and the nurse and maybe two nurses and my husband and my doula. And they're all like cheering. Like they're at a football game. Like, yeah, you're so close. And like, had it been a living baby, I mean, it felt very, organic, yeah. but had it been a living baby, I'd be like, yes. But like, it was working for a while and then I'd see like his head and I'd be crowning and then he'd like retract. So if you're watching this all happen, oh my gosh. I didn't know I'd get this graphic. So sorry. Everybody. No, no, it's this is how it is. Yeah. No, no, no. You're um, good. But then like something in my mind clicked as I saw his head and I was like, um, he's dead. He's dead. And I was just yeah. like, that cheering didn't work anymore. And I I kind of like sat up a little bit. I looked at the doctor. I'm like, can you help me pull him out, please? Just, this yeah. isn't I need yeah. help. And she's like, okay, hold on. Everybody stop. I was like, he's like, or sorry, she like, I can do a vacuum assist. Um, we might have to break his shoulder. And I was like, he's dead. I was like, it's okay. Like nothing can be worse. If he has a broken shoulder, he won't feel it. I was like, I need this to end now so I can yeah. start like processing the next bits. So God, that's so true. Yeah. <laughs> and just then, like so, needed to be done yeah yeah well okay this is our 51 from you know the night when everything started and so he was out in a couple bushes then with the vacuum assist like two yeah. bushes and that was great and he, they put him on me I got to hold him and like a lot of things don't happen the same way I would have had them had he been living like the nurse bathed him but then mm. she invited us over and watched all that but um, I'm getting ahead of myself. Sorry. So then I start hemorrhaging and they were like, okay, um, you're hemorrhaging and we have to put these two little tablets up your butt to try to help. I'm like, I just roll over. I'm yes. like, why not? Let's go, go ahead. I'm like, I am let's do no... this. Yeah. Oh my God. I just remember looking at the nurse saying, please don't let me die. And I was serious, but I don't know if it came out in jest, but she was like, I'm not going to let you die. Cause I was like, you know, at one point you're feeling like this couldn't get any worse. And then you mm-hmm. have these splinters of time where it's like, but I, I could die. Mm-hmm. And so I'm bleeding and bleeding. And then they're like, I don't know. Someone was like, well, I think her bladder's really full because she couldn't pee before. So they're like, we're going to have to do a catheter. I'm so, so sorry. It's going to be so uncomfortable. I'm like, dude, I can't like, I didn't have an epidural, but I'm like, I feel like I can't feel anything. I'm like, give me that catheter, whatever you need to do to get me to stop bleeding. They got out a liter and a half of urine. <gasps> oh my! I just goodness. think of a two-liter bottle, and then and then luckily it was like pressure from my bladder, and that stopped that bleeding. Wow! Um, and I like it was. It's important and it's trauma for me, but I also feel like it's so small in comparison to like your story. So I don't want to take up a ton more with that. No, but I, girl. Oh my god. Yeah. No. 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 So no. Then, of course, I had a second degree tear and had to be stitched up. So there's that. And then I was able to, you know, enjoy time with Miles. And like I said, the nurse like bathed him and we, Alex and I got to stand alongside and hold each other. And 
have our time with him. And then he stayed in the room with us overnight. And then they had to monitor me for that preeclampsia. So I spent um, the next whole day overnight and then like half of the next day. And then I was, um, I was discharged. (sighs) Yeah. That is, you have so many like the before, the during, and the afters, have you separated them and had and dealt with the the before death, the birth, and then the afterbirth? Have you done that? Have you how have you tried to process each one of these things? Yeah, I went to therapy immediately. Mm. I think that helped with the before, the during, and miles dying. I will honestly say I've never separated them out and gone specifically to therapy mm-hmm. for like my health. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I need to go back or do something additional. And then I want to be super sensitive. I always am mindful of this, of like moms who don't have babies after their um, losses. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to talk a lot about my living child, but when I was pregnant, um, with Nora, I was like, this is going to be so hard. Like, I don't want to get to labor and delivery and freak out or have a anxiety attack that I can't control. Mm. So I then did CBT for a while. And then I kind of wasn't jiving with that woman. Cause she was trying to layer on some toxic positivity. Like, Oh God, you're, you're not thinking positively enough about this pregnancy. And I'm like, Wait, what's CBT? No oh, cognitive behavioral therapy. Oh, so got talk it. Okay. Therapy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Get out of here. So lady. I was like, I need to cut loose from her. And I think I need something a little stronger. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, give me a <laughs> dose of some better therapy. And so I did EMDR yes. like this over, it's not Zoom, but it's a medically encrypted Zoom. Um, and so a different type where I'm not watching something on the screen. I had my eyes closed and it was like, separate arm tapping and I think EMDR is different like there are a lot of different modalities within that um and that helped a lot with preparing for birth and then the third thing I did was I did see a hypnotherapist right prior and um talked her into being my doula for Nora so she came in um before I did some sessions with her the the day of my induction because my induction was like super late at night and then she came into the hospital twice too to bring us down because we had some trauma triggers during my labor too. You know, Alex was crying. I was crying. We were worried about Nora, even though she was constantly monitored. But um, yeah, so that's what I did. I did. um, Yeah. One therapist at the, at the air force hospital in Florida. And then we moved to California and I had three different like modalities of therapy, but long way to say, I didn't ever really talk about what happened to me because I feel like when you're in, you're already a living outside the womb adult, you got a lot going for yourself. You're living, you're breathing, you're walking. So something that could happen to you never feels very dire unless it's, I mean, I don't know what it takes. Maybe it's mom, me, my, you know, enoughness, my worth, but it's just Mm. like, why is it that that wasn't bigger, but my child died. Like, I feel like anything that could have happened to me just pales in comparison. The grand scheme of things like that was a blip. And it was so out of like, I don't want to say character, but character for me being like a fitness professional, you know, Mm -hmm. competitive, like athlete, 
healthy person coach that I was just like, oh, that was just a, you know, a freak thing. And in a lot of ways it was, but I don't know. Um, so I need to do more. No, to be honest with you. And I was, I've really been thinking about this since we talked because like you, I, I was like, oh yeah, I almost died. And maybe I did die for a second. I don't know, but it doesn't matter. Brody's dead. So my entire recovery was, yes, there was a little bit of physical recovery after just getting used to, you know, what life looked like with high blood pressure for a little bit and blood, new blood and trauma from having fists in my uterus. Like there was a lot of things going on and just the trauma of like that, the mental trauma that I had from. (laughs) So the one part that I do struggle with is when I was placed on the table rather violently with my vagina out and my legs in like a frog position. And there were 15 doctors around me and there was a bright light. I was getting prepped for surgery. I looked at the light and I said, Brody, I'm going to see you soon. I was ready to go. But my husband's face flashed in front of my eyes. And I said, Oh my God, I have to survive this. Yeah. And then I went to sleep, not knowing if I was going to wake up or not in heaven or with Michael or even have the ability to have children again. It was the most Mm -hmm. terrifying countdown from the jerk anesthesiologist. But I'm going to be honest, like you, fitness professional, you know, very healthy, very clean, a very good mindset my whole life. I got to be honest, I don't think I have trauma from my own physical trauma. And I don't, sometimes in this space, people are like, you really need to investigate this. I'm like, I'm I'm okay. Like I... I need to investigate my blame, my guilt, my anger for his death. And I need to investigate my grief and how to deal with it. But that was something that happened to me that I don't truly feel. Well, I haven't had another baby yet. So I don't know if, or pregnancy. So I don't know if it's going to affect that. So I may have to investigate it in the future. Maybe I'll have fears or anxiety or PTSD. Yeah. But I don't want people... People's reactions to it is so much worse than when I kind of think about what happened to me. And Mm. I don't want, I don't necessarily think that's me like dissociating or, or what is the word when you're just like, I don't think that's a big deal. I don't think that's what it is, girl. And I'm, I I don't really want to like dig in and be like, oh, I really need to work on this trauma because I'm not sure for us at least. Yeah. It's the thing. Is that possible? (laughs) <laughs> I don't know because I I do have trauma. I I have something that's triggering me for sure. So one thing I left out, I forgot, is after I was discharged from the hospital, I kept a blood pressure cuff at mm. home and my blood pressure was spiking for a few days after. Mm-hmm. And I would get so worried. And I think I was so worried because I'm like, I'm outside of the confines of someone watching out for me. Mm-hmm. So we even called the doctor, like, what do we do? What do we do? And then of course it's always like, if your blood pressure is like the bottoms num- numbers, like inching up to like a hundred, then come in. It's just like, why is it like, has to be so bad? Be- I mean, because you're fine, I guess. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. what we're taught. And that's what I guess is true is until you're, on death's door, you're going to be okay. But my husband would tilt me back in our zero gravity reclining chair and say, do some deep breathing. And I would, and I'd get that blood pressure down. And Mm -hmm. that only went on for about a week. And then I was okay. In my subsequent birth, though, surprisingly, I had gestational diabetes 
And I saw an MFM because they thought maybe I had a blood clotting disorder. And what else? There was like a second thing. Um, gosh, I can't even think of it right now. But I had like these issues that I was like, oh, I was group um, strep B. Um, oh my yeah, gosh. B. Yeah, yeah. You had it all. Yeah. Positive. Which my OB in my second um, pregnancy was like, if you have it now, you had it before. Because her, you know, understanding or belief was that if you have it, you've always had it. And I didn't know that. So I didn't know that I was then I had this like re like trigger of like, well, what if my midwife got it wrong? Like maybe that was part of the complications with miles. Like if I had GBS and then I had an infection and he died of, you know, there's like Mm. all this on. So I need to do basically more like research with Dr. Kleiman and all of that to like find out Mm because the hospital was like, you're 38 years old, advanced maternal age. You were 42 weeks pregnant. Uh, you came in and had preeclampsia after you were in labor for 37 hours. Like all of those, the year, oh, and my like water had been broken for eight. There was light meconium in it. So it's like on paper, my home birth was a freaking disaster. Mm-hmm. And so they're like, of course your kid would die. It was kind of like the feeling I got. So we even were denied an autopsy. <gasps> Because the doctor was like, oh, it's a federally funded program. We mm. like submitted all of these details and they denied you because yeah, your kid's going to die with all of it. And I was just like, what? So the fact that that happened was felt very unjust, but it did. And I can't change the past. But now when I go into like doctor's offices, so postpartum after miles, I went to my six week check back at the military hospital because I'm like well this is this should have been my hospital all along Mm -hmm. so I see the same midwife I saw for like my very first whatever nine or 11 week scan and you know he vaguely remembers me and he's just like what happened you know and I was in the same room and I handled Mm -hmm. that okay Mm -hmm. but after that I had like little minor health things and just going in and having patience for doctors, like I get super on edge and then Mm. going in and like having Nora have some routine check. One time I was a few minutes late and I walked in and they're like, no, we're canceling. No, we've canceled your appointment. Like you're late. You can't just come into an appointment late. And I almost had an anxiety attack in the parking lot. I just felt like such a failure. And it's just like, I can't do anything right. And then it was just like walking down the hallways of a hospital and, um, Yes. Uh, things I don't really want to get into detail with, but like our foster daughter had to go to the hospital because she was in a car accident and I almost had an anxiety attack then, you know, seeing moms like or family members get into a hospital elevator with an empty car seat, mm. like going up to get the baby. I'm just like, I'm not taking yep. that elevator. And those nope. are like kind of minor. But then I just had uh, an appointment that was running super late, their fault. And I was getting, I was growing in agitation because I'm like, I freaking hate being at the doctor for like routine things. Like I kind of miss COVID times when they would take a Zoom call over something Mm -hmm. really minor just to get a referral. They come in and they take my blood pressure and it's spiked. And I was like, oh, that's weird. I, I had been, you know, doing Peloton for like 13 weeks. I'm like, I'm back getting fit. I should like not have a high blood pressure. And then waiting for the doctor, she doesn't come, she doesn't come, she doesn't come. And I'm like, having to fan myself, oh my gosh, feel my yeah. anxiety yeah. rising, rising, rising. I'm crying. I'm getting all red. I'm looking in the mirror, fanning myself. Calm down, Heather, calm down, Heather. Cause I want to talk to the doctor about something dermatological. I don't want to talk to her about this anxiety attack. Cause you're like, Oh, you need mental health. And that's like, Ugh. I need to like, yeah. be here for my stuff. So she comes in, she can't really tell, but I was like, 
okay, calm down. And I'm just like, why am I having high blood pressure and on the verge of an anxiety attack just because they're running late and I'm annoyed. And so I'm like, there's something deeper. So that's when I contacted you because you talked about um, on your episode with your husband about everything that happened Mm -hmm. after Brody died. And I was just like, Catherine, do you think you have unprocessed trauma? And I thought at the time you said yes, but I don't know how you feel. Like after I say like, these things sound minor, but at the same time, it's like, this isn't who I was before. I will a hundred percent agree with you on this. I, every time I go to the, I still haven't gone to the back to the same office. I will never walk back in there. No. And I, I I'm in the same building seeing a reproductive specialist. Cause I want to speed this process up of trying to conceive, you know what I'm saying? So I, I'm on the same building, but it's the floor, two floors down. And I accidentally went to the eighth, got off the elevator, almost had a panic attack when I saw that front desk because I hate those people. And then um, went back down to my, I I had to get an ultrasound, flipped out, cried the entire time. Like I still do. And so when I went back for my six week, they put the thing on my belly, checking my uterus to see if there's any, any debris still left from birth. And the screen was on. And the last time I had the screen on for my ultrasound, he was dead. And I said, you got to turn that off. And I hyperventilated pretty much, but breathing and getting myself back together. So yes, I do have a level of PTSD. I would say, um, I am aware of it. I know it's going to happen. I am prepared for when it happens. I sat in the waiting room and the blinds on the window were the same blinds that I peered out of when they were trying to find his heartbeat. And I was looking outside going, Oh my God, what's happening right now? Right before they said he had died. So immediately tears. And I'm just like, Oh, here we go. Like, so I'm, I definitely have things I'm trying to work on 100%. And from what, what I've heard, there will always be triggers like that. And I don't know if how much, I think we've done enough work to step foot in the door. There were, there were probably times right after that I couldn't even get out the car. Like, I'm not going in there. I'm not doing it. But now I said, okay, I have to go in there if I want to have a kid. Like, let's go. So I'm making those steps. And finally, I'm to the point where I can get through the whole appointment. I'm drained after, but Mm -hmm. I feel like I am making progress. I think what I just haven't really thought that I've needed any any processing of is the I almost died part. I That's just where I'm kind of like, I don't know if I need to dig into the I almost died. Now- put me back on a hospital bed and have me give birth. Will I probably freak out to think that might happen again? I might, I might. Um, apparently what happened to me was because of the stillbirth. Um, well, that's what they say, but who the hell knows? Um, so yes, there is definitely a ton of PTSD going on. I've done ART, which is accelerated resolution therapy, which is a version of EMDR because she was the closest one to my house. So <laughs> I went to her. I used that to help process the day that I found out he died into going to the hospital. I have not used it yet for labor and I have not used it yet for post what happens to me. So I separated it because she kind of helped me do this because she was kind of like, you have three different movies going on. Your first movie is the day that you found out what you had for breakfast, the conversations you had on the phone, what you did for, and then you saying, okay, I need to go in. You calling, you go in, you find out, you're told you have to go deliver, blah, blah, blah. Then you need to end it when you get into that hospital bed. Mm-hmm. And I kind of did. That's kind of how my brain is. So now I have not processed his birth because 
I was a I didn't really know how to do that. I mean, there was so much, so many beautiful parts of it because I was, you know, holding your baby and, you know, holding my husband's hand and like things like that. And and the, my midwife, thank God, was incredible. She was crying during the entire delivery, and so was my nurse. And that was thank God because I was ready to like destroy, burn it down. You know what I mean? Like so, thank God mm-hmm. that they were like that. Yeah. But, you know, I, I, I don't know. And I, I, I wonder like if I went to my therapist because I have the ART therapist and I have a talk, I have a grief therapist who also um, her baby died as well. So she and I relate on a lot of levels, which has been really helpful. But I'm wondering, like, as I talk, if she would ever say to me, I'm hearing that you still have unprocessed things with this near death experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is not something I've really prioritized. Right. You know, me yeah. yeah, not at all, Mm-mm. not at all. And it's not even that I'm like, I'm a badass. It's more like I'm not over my son's death yet. So like, right. let's not even try to tackle my near death. And yeah. I don't even know if I ever will, to be honest with you. Yeah. And maybe why this came up for me and why I talked to you about it initially is because now I'm three and a half years out from miles dying and it's feeling a lot more like woven into my daily norm like I have a child it is my narrative I still can't believe that like I had a dream the other night that I was dreaming or like no I was dreaming that I was away going my dreams are really realistic is this really my life narrative or Mm -hmm. is this a dream and I'm gonna wake up from it Mm -hmm. (laughs) I didn't wake up I do that all the time dreaming about and then I wake up from my dream going Fuck, I still feel that way mm-hmm. a lot, you know, like mm-hmm. I'm really having a hard time, like accepting that this is how my life is, you know, laying out for the you know second half of my life or yeah. however long I'm going to live. So, but at, at the same time, which is how these dualities happen is you live your day in your day out and you put one foot in front of the other and you're just like, okay, this is my reality. And now I have to live with it and I'm going to talk about it and I'm going to let it change part of the trajectory of my whole rest of my life, which is also like, whoa, I'm always like, what is going to happen next? What am I going to get into next? What am I going to, who am I going to talk to next? What am I going to learn next? And how is this going to shape me, my relationships, Mm -hmm. my career, my future, my child, my living child. And so it's, it's crazy. So, you know, it's interesting because until someone like dissected my brain, I guess I don't know those triggers that I'm having at, you know, stupid things at the hospital or at the doctor's office, I feel like it's unprocessed stuff, maybe from me for two reasons. One, when I talk about it, I still get really emotional. And if I happen to talk about it with my husband or hear him talking about it, he gets emotional and I get emotional. So I'm like, if it feels really visceral and this is just for me, I'm not a therapist, obviously, (laughs) I feel like more work can be done. Right. I can talk pretty matter of factly about miles. Um, Some of the minute details might get me a little bit emotional, but like I said, it feels a lot more balanced. Like Mm -hmm. this is my new normal and I just am moving forward with him and my grief. And so, and I never had had anxiety really, or I've never had a like anxiety attack before, like, you know, two years ago, I didn't even Mm -hmm. have one initially in the first year year and a half after like about a year and a half after he died is when I had my first one and now in the last year and a half I've had about four or five so I'm going what is going on here um yeah what is this like secondary level and what isn't processed and the the big thing that 
kind of poked out to me after listening to your other podcast was, oh, maybe it's mm-hmm. my maternal health and like post learning that he died, all that crap that happened. Yeah. Yeah. I and know. I think, yeah, I, I mean, this is why I love having these conversations because we're all trying to just figure this out and we're all every single stage of the grief and every single stage of life after loss looks different for all of us, but there's so many similarities that are woven in together where, you know, you're making me feel less kind of like the way that I've handled everything. You you make me feel less alone because we have Mm -hmm. similar situations. I too, when it's preeclampsia and they kept me in the hospital for an extra day. And they, then I was like, I'm getting out of here after four days. I left, went home it skyrocketed into like the 170s over 120s. And they were like, you need to come back. So I had to go back to the freaking hospital, recheck myself in, knowing my baby was already gone. He was at the funeral home. Like I was like, I don't want to be here. And then I had to monitor it every day for like three months because they were concerned and they were like, we got to get this down before you can even try again. So, you know, getting my health in order has been a really big thing and a really big trigger. So like when I do all these, I've I've had like a bajillion tests because I was like, I've never had high blood pressure in my life. And so Mm -hmm. apparently the high blood pressure was because Brody had a small placenta, but they didn't know he had a small placenta. My blood pressure was creeping in the third trimester because the small placenta was working overtime. So there were, there's so many levels to what my health was doing that I didn't know what caused what and what was the result of what. So now I just wanted to get a baseline to be like, you guys, am I good to go to try again? Has everything been diagnosed, rectified, handled, remedied? What is going on? And so finally, I think that I'm in a good place health-wise, but I'm so obsessed with it. I'm like even more heightened on what I'm putting in my body, the exercise, the the, the eliminating of things, you know, and I've never been a pill person as far as things like, like that, but I'm like, is that going to fix what's going on with me? Cool. Let's go. You know, like, let me try it. Let's try this. So that mm-hmm. has definitely changed my life in that sense. I'm wildly terrified of someone else is going to die. Like my mom had like a little bit of a health thing. And I was like, go to the doctor. And I called her every day, multiple times. Did you call your doctor? Did you call your doctor? She's like, you don't worry about me. I'm like, I can't, I can't have something happen to you now. Like, this is just where I am anticipating more things happening. Now I will tell you, we too, when we talk about things, my family gets really emotional because my mom and my sister were there watching me pretty much code and almost die. They get emotional talking about that more than so scared. So I don't know if it's necessarily unprocessed trauma. I think it's just memory. I think it's just a sad, horrible memory. And, and when those memories creep in, I'm teaching myself how to say, Oh, here we go. It's I'm mm-hmm. thinking about this right now. I'm processing. This is not a good thing for me to do right now. And I mm-hmm. get a distraction. I make myself distract. And, um, have I truly sat and broken down what happened and analyzed it? No, not the trauma, not the post-trauma, but I think what I've been trying to tackle, like you said, is those times where you're crying and you're thinking about things and we're still, we're still being triggered by it. Yeah. Those are the, those are the ones that I've been prioritizing big time because it keeps me from functioning sometimes. Yep. Yes. And that's what I need to do is daily function, try to function normally, even though I'm weird as hell and I'll never be normal again. <laughs> so do you feel like, you know, what is triggering you in those moments? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You do. Um, okay. I think when I get out of, when, so 
right after it happened, I was like, I'm going to be the chillest person ever. Nothing's going to bother me anymore. I've done, I've gone through the worst thing ever. Not accurate. I get so riled over the dumbest shit that where I have no control or when yes. somebody tells me something that doesn't make sense, like yes. when they're trying to lay down a, a rule telling me I can't do something and it doesn't make sense why that's happening. I like get very, very like out of control or especially like when someone's rude at a doctor's office or on the phone, I have, I get completely derailed. Yeah. Um, or when someone denies me something like, no, you cannot do this. You cannot come in. You should yeah. not come. I get not just like teary or just bothered. I get like overwhelmingly having an anxiety attack. And yeah. that's where I need to probably process a bit more as to why in situations where I feel out of control, like I have no control over the situation that I start to lose my shit. You know, I feel like the exact same way. Mm -hmm. Some of them are different, but like being late to my daughter's appointment, like that was out of my control because, well, I left a little bit late, but I'm not a late person, but I ran into construction and then I had to wait and wait and wait before our side of cars could go. So I was like, damn, I'm late, you know, and then them just like shutting it down. Like, no, she cannot be seen. And we don't have an appointment for another like two months and losing that control. I don't, mm -hmm. it is, it's something about control. And I'm not a super type a person. Mm -mm. I don't know if you know what your like Enneagram is, but I'm a Leo. I'm an Enneagram eight. I'm a rebel. If you know, um, Gretchen Rubin's work. And so it all aligns that I want to have control issues. So I'm like, Oh, is it just like in the fabric of my being? But, um, I don't know. It's definitely that because the first time I had a panic attack, it was over something so stupid. Like I was renting out our house in Florida while we were living in California. And then our tenant just boned out after four and a half months after he promised to sign like a 13 month lease. And so wow. I had to go out to Florida and go like remedy some crap. But I just got so worked up over him, like, you know, screwing us over that I like couldn't handle it. And then the other thing was when family was com coming to visit to meet Nora for the first time and they all wanted to come at the same time and I was like that couldn't give me more anxiety but I felt like I couldn't control them because they kept trying to come in like groups mm -hmm, and I'm like mm -hmm. no I need you here one at a time to help me and like hold her so I can get some rest or maybe like help with some laundry and they're like let's all come together and I was just like so I'm not feeling like I can control yeah. my family I was like I had another one and Alex was like and my family I don't know my family's wonderful loving human beings I don't think but. it's them I think it's maybe even literally all the doctors or all the midwives it's not listening to you or not mm. doing what you needed them to do yeah. or honoring how you felt it's yeah. then there you're just it's it's not a projection but it's more like they represent that feeling that you had with those strangers those doctors that's yeah. what i just kind of feel like happens sometimes it's not your family you love them but it, it's bringing on a feeling that's very familiar to how you felt in that hospital and that's yep. sometimes what happens too yeah you know the the like if someone doesn't give me any answers or is not very clear about my test results or something like that, and doesn't give me a direct, this is what you need to do. Because I remember being in the ICU and the doctor who saw Brody at my 36 week appointment right before he died, casually sat on the edge of my bed and was like, you could try again in three months. And she was like, this is like being struck by lightning. It will happen again. And I was like, excuse me. And she had nothing to say to me. And I felt so angry. I was like, how do you walk down here and not show any compassion and not talk me through this? Like, 
how can you just be like this? So when that happens again, I get that same feeling of being in the ICU bed. And mm. so, you know, is that unprocessed trauma potentially, is it a trigger a hundred percent? And is it something that may irritate me for the rest of my life? Maybe, but yeah. what I'm trying to do is it may always affect me, but mm. I'm trying to learn how to react to it when it does. That's where my yeah. focus has been because I may not be able to prevent it from affecting me ever but I can try to help control my reaction to it. I think that's yeah. what I've really been working on. Um, but there's been situations, girl, where like, there's, I don't know if you saw one of my posts, there's no amount of breath work mm -hmm. or, or anything that's going to get me out of some situations. I'm like, I'm just going to leave. I'm going to go like, and I don't say a word. I just leave. And then I'm fine. So those are still the things that I'm trying to work on, but you know, nine months out, I put a lot of pressure on myself to try to function normally, but then sometimes I sit down and I'm like, bitch, you've been through it. Yeah. Give yourself some grace. And even you, you're only three and a half years. That's yeah. not, I mean, I've talked to women who are 10 to 15 and they are still tearful when they talk about it and it's never going to go away. It's just how we have to not let it consume us or become our identity. And that's something that I've really been trying to work on as well. Separating this trauma yeah this loss and what it looks like to be this Catherine, this version of Catherine now, you know, instead of just projecting loss and grief all the time, you know, what does it look like? What does life look like? I mean, it's some heavy shit. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Yeah. You, you don't drink wine, but I I've stopped <laughs> drinking wine, but like <laughs> the, 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 the things that I'm like, I need to cope what's going on. Um, right. tell me, so you're coaching though, right? So you, have you always been a wellness coach? I have been since 2015. So okay. for seven years, currently I don't have any clients. Um, I took one, um, yeah, about 18 months ago while I was pregnant with Nora, I, I took one. Um, if someone wanted to health coach with me, I, I guess I wouldn't turn them down. I just might like, everything was so crazy. We only lived in California for 18 months. Mm. I got pregnant and had a baby. And then when she was only six months old, we had to move to England. So life has just been a bit up in the air yeah. and then having a baby and then zero support that family that, mm -hmm. you know, kept trying to visit now has only been out to England once or twice. And it's just so hard. I'm, you know, half my day I'm with her, then half the day I'm trying to hold down a part-time job. I also work in marketing um, in the organic food product space and own my own small like marketing company. Yeah, that's awesome. <clears throat> um, but it's still at the root of who I am. Like I yeah. still, my life still follows that. And then as far as CrossFit, like if there was a CrossFit gym on this Air Force base, I would potentially coach because I'm still current on my level two CrossFit certification, but um, there isn't one. So, oh man, yeah. but what your posts have been really good and really helpful. I think one of my favorite ones was, I think it said grievers don't owe you shit. And I was just like, God, the timing of this was so epically good. And I'm so glad. <laughs> it was so good. I know. I Don't you love when you just like let something fly and you're like, oh God, I don't know if this is going to go well. Like, let's see what happens next. <laughs> I usually don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I stop caring. You can't care. Like, because just when you think one person messages you and goes, damn, that was awesome. Um, I loved that because there are some people in this whole process, and that's a whole nother conversation, which I hope that we can have. Um, it's that 
you've got trauma on top of trauma on top of trauma on top of trauma. So you got emotional, physical, gr- you got grief, you got loss, you got death, all that. And then you have like your relationships and the relationships that you had before kind of change after death. So mm-hmm. you have to analyze those. Me not associating you right now, I don't owe you that relationship right now because it's not good. I know you're, you're, you're shaking your head and that's amazing because you, you mm-hmm. get it. Yeah. I had people in my DMs as long before. So I also had fertility issues getting pregnant in my second pregnancy, but long before I ever was pregnant, I'd have people in my DMs. Like I am a friend of someone who had a stillbirth and yeah, she can't show up for me and I'm trying to be sensitive and mindful, but like this really hurts because, and I'm not trying to like atone my voice. Like there's some brat, but anyway, I would respond and say, she cannot show up for you right now. You need to table that friendship. I'm sure she still loves you. You can't expect anything. And I mean anything from that person because your child triggers her potentially, probably I'm speaking from my own experience, but it's just so hard. Like I have, there's only one grandchild, other grandchild in our family and he's a boy and he had a ton of like birth complications and other things. And just being at my in-laws and like hearing him in the other room, like running and laughing and you know, between my children and I was just bawling. Like I cannot do this. It's just so hard. So yeah. And the reason I wrote that grievers don't know you shit is because I was in Venice um, posting pictures and a certain somebody in my life won't touch, you know, miles Mm -hmm. won't honor him maybe once or twice a year on his birthday. We usually just on his birthday or mention him in passing like once or twice. Um, But then like, loves all my pictures of Venice loves and oh DMs me this is so great I'm just like take your you know toxic positivity or you know people don't really like that because it's like well then how do I do positivity right and it's just like well don't just apply it to good times that's what mm. I call toxic positivity and I'm probably defining it way different than how it was originally put out <laughs> in the world but it's just, I have my own rules and yeah. it's just like if you're positive only when you see fit or you think things are going great in my life, then to me, that's toxic because yeah. you don't want to be vulnerable. <laughs> yes, that's your problem, but get the hell out of here. Yeah. And like, if it's not enough, like get the GTFO, please. <laughs> um, and if, if the stories we just told, isn't enough to give us a reason as to why we just cannot, we have to like, why we have to table the friendship, which I love that phrase now and I'm going to use it. Um, I, come on now. Then I got nothing for you, you know? Um, yeah. Well, I know you have things to do. <laughs> I could talk forever. I want to I know. <laughs> I want to leave you with the last word though on anything that you want to leave any messages that you have or I mean we talked about so much but if you want to yeah. put a bow on it, yeah. Um one thing that kind of came up in mind a couple times over the time we talked and I've been doing a lot of reading about, you know, therapy about trauma, about self-help, whatever and what I keep learning is like community is so important. And I know that so many of us went through um, pregnancies and death of our children, subsequent pregnancies, all of this through COVID. And so we probably came out feeling very alone. And then the world was like really confusing. Or even if it wasn't in COVID times, all of your friends are like in a different place now. And all I can stress is like, for me, that really fills my cup is find a bunch of strangers in community. So here in the UK, sans stillbirth and uh, neonatal death support. 
I couldn't go, couldn't go, couldn't go. And I'd get so bummed because I only met one night a month. And now I've gone like three times in a row and I leave there. We get to talk in a group for two hours. You don't have to share. You can share. People hold space. And I just leave there feeling like so full. And it's like, you just talked about dead babies for two hours, but I feel great. So all I can really stress is like, the friends that you had don't have to be your new friends in grief. They don't have to be your confidants. They're probably not going to understand, but community is so important going like circling all the way back to what you started with is that Facebook group that saved my life for the first probably six months. That Facebook mm -hmm. group, I think it's called like stillbirth and infant loss. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like 40,000 members. I still remember, but I think I like muted it because I was like, I'll go and see because it's a lot because mm -hmm. the further you get out, it's like, it just hurts your heart to see babies mm -hmm. die every single day. Mm -hmm. So I had to kind of take a break from that. But all I would say is like cultivate community. And, you know, there are different types of therapy modalities. That would be the only other thing I have to say, like EMDR. I don't know how it's different from ART. I'm really interested in ART now, but it's like we did get to the root of grief. And I don't know if it was like in the book, The Body Keeps the Score or another mm -hmm. book, but they were really like, you can't really, and I hate the word heal trauma, but like kind of put a maybe bandaid on it. So it's not so visceral and mm. so like debilitating is getting to the root of it. If you're afraid to like talk about the worst parts of it, you may prolong that visceral pain. And I feel like that's why I can speak so matter of factly and dive so like widely into the grief communities. Cause it's just like, and I'm not better than anybody, but I went to grief like therapy and then EMDR, like that is that is ripping the bandaid off and like scraping the freaking wound mm -hmm. and crying through it all. And then you do kind of feel better. So mm -hmm. yeah, it's sometimes that's what it takes. And, and that's just not, that's like proven, you know, Yeah, talking about it gets you kind of closer to moving forward with Absolutely. the weight not being so heavy. So I guess I'll leave with that. I had questions for you, but I'll talk to you offline about that. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh my God. You said so much stuff. I'm like, I need to talk to her about this and <laughs> we need to schedule when you can cut where you need to go to that concert. I sent you that when we were young concert, dude, yeah. we would rage. That would be so fun. If, you could, if we could get to Vegas this time, <laughs> this weekend coming up next year. Can you imagine? Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, but yeah, so thank you so much for doing this. Really? Yeah, I, I don't think we discovered anything new other than that. Everyone's trauma is the same, but different. A lot of things come up similarly, similarly for people, but I think the roots are, that's what I wanted to say too, really briefly, like EMDR mm -hmm. does help you get to the root. Like I'd be tapping and crying and I'd be like, oh, I, I feel like I don't have control. And it's like, oh, that's about my midwives, but no, that's about my parents not listening to my medical like worries when I was a kid. And, and it's like, mm -hmm. it, it's like, oh, it hurts my heart that it's deeper than my midwives because I want to be so mad at them. But it's like, oh, what's what's holding space really viscerally in my mind is actually other traumas or so maybe not even trauma. Yeah. So that's maybe how EMDR is different than ART. Like if you're like, what is my control issue? EMDR will get you there. It'll you at least it opened the box in my mind to be like, whoa, that's connected to my parents. That's something in childhood. That's when I had a UTI when I was 17, year old, 17 years old and my mom didn't take me seriously and I begged her to take me to the hospital because I was like, something is wrong with me, you know? We didn't yes. Know I grew up on a farm in Minnesota, but it's like, oh, so 
someone not listening to me? That's from, you know, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm about to call my girl. I'm going to go in this week. That shit is so exhausting. It's like, it's work. It's your, my eyes were going for an hour. I was crying. I was sweating. Like it was, and that's the thing. I think what we're trying to say as well is like, if you want to recover or at least be able to function with these, this trauma, these memories, you have to do the work. You have yeah. to go and yes. do it. And everyone's like, oh, insurance, this and money, this. Listen, I sold, I sell some stuff on, on eBay and go, you know, like, and submit some, you know, cut out some things like, or, you know, submit at the end of the year, if you can, I mean, if you want to get better, you will find a way you will find mm -hmm. a way. And by better, I mean, able to fully function or right. maybe 90% function as a human being. God, that's so interesting. I'm, I'm so curious now. I'm wondering. Scary. So I don't know, like <laughs> to wrap up if we don't touch or feel super traumatized by what happened to us because we processed kind of what is more painful in our children dying mm. that we don't need it or because that's what I wanted to ask earlier is like, why don't you go there though? I don't know. I don't know. I, to me, again, like you said, it pales in comparison. And yeah. when I go back to that day, it's holding my dead child and him being me screaming, somebody wake him up, not mm -hmm. me screaming, save my uterus. Don't let me die. I, I don't think about that. Yeah. Uh, it's just, it's something else takes over. Uh, I'm yeah. wondering though, here's what's interesting. I did ART and then some other things came up and she said to me, my therapist said to me, because you have altered your memories to be more pleasant, because you have investigated and processed this one section, it makes mm -hmm. room for other ones to come up. So mm -hmm. I have a feeling if I go in and I process with ART and I handle it through therapy, his birth and the things that will crush your heart and the memories and the images and the sounds and the things. Yep then the trauma from the after will come up because it doesn't Maybe. have space yet. Yeah. I don't know. Because Maybe. then, then your brain needs something else. So you're consistently handling these things. Maybe we'll see. I don't know. And it's something, you know, Hey, this is all part of the fun. This is here. This is where we're at. Um, you're awesome. And you're the best. And this is just the first of many. And I know this is going to help a lot of people. So thank you for being so open about this. I hope so. If anyone ever needs support, my DMs are always open and I usually wake up to a bunch. So that's nice because I'm on a way different time zone. And then I write them and y'all are sleeping and you get to wake up to my stuff. <laughs> that's so lovely. Yeah. I love that. All right. Well, the, I will then um, tag underneath how they can find you. Cool. And uh, yeah. Awesome. Thanks, girl. Thank you. That's all for this episode of the At A Total Loss podcast. If you'd like to help other lost moms benefit from our stories, please share, rate, and comment wherever you are listening. Thank you for being the strong mama that you are. And remember, when things have you at a total loss, we're here to help you find the light in the darkness. Take care, lost moms.